0: Welcome to Politics Done Right from the studios of KPFT 90.1 FM, Houston, your community radio station. We have a great program for you today. Welcome to one more edition of Politics Done Right. Once again, we are here with Andy Schmuckler. I mean, and listen, Andy has a series with us and we're going to be talking a hell of a lot. About this particular subject, a better human story is what I like to call it because that's what he calls it. Anyhow, let's get busy, Andrew. Today we're going to talk about uh, one of your one of your other posts, or I should say two: the central challenge facing any civilization, creating species, and the other one will be uh, keeping the central challenge always before our eyes. And I read those two articles and I have quite a bit of questions. But what I'm going to do. Is first of all ask you why did you come out with a piece title "The Challenge Facing Any Civilization—Creating Species"? What do you mean by that?
1: Well, you and I had a conversation last time out about uh, uh, the problem that civilization brings about. That's not a function of the nature of the of the creature; it's a function of the disorder. That inevitably accompanies a creature doing what I describe civilization as extricating itself from the niche in which it evolved biologically by inventing its own way of life. In the three and a half billion years that life evolved on this planet, there had never been anything like that. Never a life form that was essentially shaped by the creative intelligence of a creature that and Unwittingly, that creates an anarchic situation. The anarchic situation generates a war of all against all. The war of all against all creates a selective process because only certain non-randomly selected cultural options will prevail in that war. And the result is that the, the ways of power Inevitably, will draw will shape the how the civilization evolves, regardless of the of the nature of the creature who has taken that bold step into inventing its way of life. We talked about that before. I'm willing to leave that as the placeholder and go on, or but what if I, there's something there. Go,
0: yeah, where I want to go is that in, in the first part here, you talk about civilization creating. Two dangerous kinds of disorder.
1: Yes. Well, the two kinds, one of them is the war of all against all. And that means that inevitably these civilizing societies are going to come have to interact with each other outside of any order. So that's the war of all against all. And when you think and we're going to have to probably come back to this that as the civilization develops the creature is going to get ever greater powers which we saw in in well just before my lifetime began we've got now the power to destroy the planet with our you know a nuclear holocaust certainly destroy our our civilization but, you know, if if we went all out, I, I, you know, so that's one kind of disorder, the disorder of war with the creature who over time will develop more and more destructive potential with the weapons it develops. The other kind of disorder is implied by extricating itself from the niche in which it evolved biologically. So when we've got, we've got uh, a primate group, that evolves into hunting, gathering, cultural human beings who are still living more or less like primate societies in in their small bands. Uh, and then ten or twelve thousand years ago, they start growing crops of the foods that they used to gather and herding animals of the uh, that they used to hunt. That's inventing their own way of life and that means breaking out of the order that the ecological order, which they had lived in, in that niche. Uh, I, I don't know if we need to go into all the ways in which the evolutionary process doesn't just fashion our bodies, it fashions the relationships of the whole living system. The way I, I've put it is, uh, the lion and the zebra and the grass work together. To create a perpetual motion machine even as they devour them each other. Now and and we So that's and we've seen now with climate change how the increasing powers of the civilization that we've created really do threaten the survival of human civilization.
0: And, and with that, I want to go to point two, because you have you say it would seem to be more or less inevitable that the destructive powers of any such species civilization will keep growing and thus in time will reach a level that threatens the survival of civilizations. Before you comment on that, I want to challenge that. Um, Why is it that we inevitably have to reach a point of destructive powers as opposed to the converse?
1: Well, the powers are not necessarily destructive. I mean, they can be used destructively. The power, but the first Why would our powers grow? Well, we're talking about a creature that's inventing its own way of life. It breaks out. And we're, we're, so the, as we break out, like into horticultural societies and then agricultural societies, and then, you know, the, the, the door seems to be open, open ended for all the cultural innovations that are possible. I mean, there's so many things that you can do when you're a hunter gatherer that you can, but, so well, I, I, I think, you
0: know, what I want to gather is um, because, first of all, if we look at humanity as that species that we're talking about, I see that what you're saying is true. My question is, why does it need to be true? In other words, our destructive power for real has increased as we have become more civilized, if you will. Well. But is that necessarily so? Or could it have gone the other way that we became the ben- we used the benevolence of our of our intellect?
1: Well, the first thing is that our powers will increase, and that was what I was trying to explain, um, which is that the pro- the possibilities of innovation are open ended. The door has been open for all kinds of things, like just looking around ourselves. You know, after ten thousand years, what we've got, but. The, the other piece of it is um, that the, the, that we are cultural animals, and, and no, no creature is going to create civilization without being a cultural animal. That means we've got the capacity to have cumulative cultural change. We to, to be cultural animals means to be able to pass along from generation to generation, whatever it is that each generation has come up with. So there's going to be a cumulative thing and the powers of the species are going to necessarily increase. It can also be declines like when Rome flat fell rome was the greatest power of its era but it 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 fell apart for you know reasons we don't have to go into and say european civilization lapsed into what they now call the dark ages so you can have a decline uh, in a civilizational system of powers but eventually europe you know came back together Europe started developed uh, new ways of finding out. Uh, you know the the scientific revolution, the industrial revolution, uh, the powers keep growing. So it may take. I mean, it took us about. Let's see. It was in the twentieth century that we we developed the ability to destroy ourselves. And so let's say that took 10 or 12,000 years. If some other creature uh, developed civilization on some other planet, maybe they would come to that point later, or maybe they would come to that point sooner. But eventually, since we have the ability to keep innovating, since we're going to keep on developing greater power to achieve whatever our purposes are, We will develop powers that are great enough that if they are used destructively, they can bring down the house on our roofs. And that first point about the implications of civilization, which is namely that we unleash inevitably a force of brokenness that our civilization will inevitably give the spirit of the gangster a disproportionate say on how our societies will develop. That force of brokenness is an inevitable byproduct of civilization. And so there is the challenge that we come to as our powers grow, as the force of brokenness that inevitably emerges with civilization keeps on reverberating through the centuries. And we can talk about that. If not in this conversation, then I hope in a future one, how the force of brokenness transmits its various patterns of brokenness by breaking people and break and breaking social organizations and breaking the international system to keep generating brokenness. Eventually we're going to come to the point where we either will order our civilization well enough and soon enough to prevent our destroying ourselves or that force of brokenness will end in the, the the self-destruction of the civilization. And I think it's a, it's a a toss up right now, which way it's going to go for the human species on this planet.
0: Well, I mean, as it turns out right now, I, I mean, and I'm, I'm still trying to get this from you. And, and that is, I mean, you know, I'm saying that the conclusions that we have, we're living it, right? Uh, we're living a lot of what you're saying. I mean, um, we're living that as we, we've become more powerful, we've become more self-destructive, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you brought in a, an interesting topic when you talk about, um, the, not the charlatan, what you, you call it, the, uh, that person who does that—the the, the, the strong man. What did you call the it? The gangster or the, the warlord? Gangster, 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 yeah. right? right? So it seems to me, and and tell me if I'm if if this is the, the way you you meant it or not. Um, we as we become more powerful, as humanity becomes more powerful, civilization become more powerful. Uh, we we are able to more destroy ourselves. In other words, um, you know, we we can reach to that point but reaching to that point could just as well be instead of destroying ourselves, we could ascend and make ourselves a lot better. Right.
1: Well, we've been doing both of them right along. Right. We have, you know, you and I are at an age that, um, mm, well, I especially, <laughs> uh, you know, our life expectancy around the planet. Uh, I think, you know, the turn of the, to the ninth, the 19th to the 20th century the life expectancy of an American was something like forty years. It was very yeah, yeah, and and now it's uh, getting close to eighty. Uh, you know, we we have um, w- public health measures have increased them. We're able to feed people better. Uh, you know, our powers. Our, our, we, we, I, I say that there are two coherent forces at work in the world, one that spreads a pattern of, of wholeness that that makes things better. I mean, I've been writing just lately about how how long it took us before anybody really could create a democratic society. So, you know, that that was an achievement that they, you know, the miracle in Philadelphia in, in 1787 for all its flaws. I mean, uh, I'm sure you're quite aware of the flaws. Oh, and, yeah, absolutely.
0: Too. Well, I mean, the, the reason I, 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 I'm i glad that you got there because and again, and I, I'm glad that you brought also in the gangster because um, my contention is, as I understand what you're saying, is that um, maybe just maybe as we become more powerful and as we are improving ourselves, if you will, that it's that gangster that runs the risk of bending that curve, right?
1: Well, the force of brokenness is many fold. I mean, we can look at the gangster element like, you know, in, in recent months, some of us have worried um, this guy, Putin, right, who's made this terrible blunder, and who seems to be incapable of recognizing that it's a blunder and accepting as a blunder and who commands a vast nuclear arsenal, you know, that he, he has the capacity to pull the plug on the whole thing. Right. It, that is assuming that people would follow his orders, which maybe they would, and maybe they wouldn't. So there's the gangster element, but there's also around us. and And, and this is why when I talk about, I have a, a a way of understanding the battle between good and evil, right? The, the evil, I, I just, I define evil as a coherent force that consistently spreads a pattern of brokenness. And so we can take a look at, let's say what are the forces that today's Republican party is harnessing? Uh, The Republican Party is sort of a pure case that I don't think uh, I've ever seen in a democratic society. But, you know, there's white supremacy. Mm -hmm. There's the greed of the plutocrats. Mm -hmm. Um, Back when W was uh, president, there was the imperialistic element of the American civilization, the, the element that that made treaties with the Native Americans and then broke them, uh, that met, concocted ideas like manifest de- destiny. And all these currents are, you know, when you talk about the spirit of the gangster, I'm talking about not only that, that the warlord wins in the war of all against all, but he shapes societies that are... Ch- First, first of all, the war of all against all is traumatic for people to live through. I mean, what the Ukrainians are living through now, who knows how that's going to ramify? I have ancestors that left uh, Ukraine uh, over a 100 years ago uh, because they were fleeing pogroms. And their stories passed down uh, in my family of that experience. And my brother and I have talked, for example, about the epigenetic phenomenon. I don't know if you're familiar with that. No, I'm not. But but the Lamarck had a theory of evolution where um, people's experiences change their genes. Okay, gotcha. But they don't experience the experiences, don't change people's genes, but they can change how they uh, get expressed. So that what my grandparents went through can be affect the way my brother and I develop through the epigenetic process. But in any event, people who are who are uh, ground up in the war of all against all, they end up being broken in some ways. Also, the societies that get shaped by the dictates of the warlords who who enslave the many generating the empires and the tyrannies of the ancient world. They they generate cultures through the reign of power that require people to internalize the demands of their society. This is what we require of you. And what we require of you is what will maximize our power. And what will maximize our power can be very much at odds with what will fulfill the the inborn needs of the human creature. So when we talk about the force of brokenness, we're not just talking about the gangsters like Putin and what he does and what the the, the empires of of the Middle East did 5,000 years ago. We're also talking about the brokenness of people who have a need to assert themselves in ways that are growing out of trauma. You know, white supremacy is not an inborn need of a human being, but if you put people through a certain kind of injurious process, they will develop a need to to hold other people down. You know, there there there's a saying. Uh, you know, th- when you study the, the the history of racism in America, you know. Um. well, I may not be much, but I'm better than them.
0: Right. I know exactly what that is. In fact, that yeah. is what allowed, allowed slavery to continue when blacks and whites were actually united to, to actually take over A- our feudal in, system.
1: And then in Jim Crow, you know, the the rich whites say, we're together, you know, they exploit and manipulate and deceive. and And people who are treated like crap, have a need to think, I'm something. But if you're living in a society that treats you like nothing, the way you'll express that need to be something will perpetuate the patterns of brokenness.
0: Exactly. I wish more people understood that concept. That is very important. Now, you says whether human civilization will succeed or fail in meeting that challenge and survive for the long haul is in doubt. And, you know, there are many times that I even as much in as much as we have all these nuclear weapons just ready to blow. I've always thought that ah, just maybe we would never get there. But I think Putin did something to a, the psyche of a lot of people. And I think it showed us that there is, in fact, that possibility that we can actually go too far and be on the brink. Your thoughts?
1: Well, I, you know, I, I was um, a senior in high school when the Cuban Missile Crisis happened. And I remember uh, I don't know that I've mentioned this before. um, I remember sitting in the stands uh, at a football game in October of 1962 Mm -hmm. and looking out in the direction of Minneapolis, Mm -hmm. which which I thought was not the first (laughs) choice of where the. Soviet Union would attack. But right. there there are a lot of, you know, as Minneapolis Honeywell and various other high tech. Uh, it was a it was a target fairly high up. And I was thinking, you know, while I'm looking, will that flash occur? <laughs> so for me, Putin is just a reminder of something that was instilled in me. Oh, and we, you know, my generation, uh, as everybody gets to hear, follows, you know, uh, the 1950s, these you see the video of these kids doing their duck and cover, you know, <laughs> we don't want we don't want these kids to be uh, uh, um, uh to get the the windows, the flying shards, the green, glass, yeah. you know, so we would duck and cover or we go out into the hall and huddle down by our lockers. So the idea that it might happen for my generation, was out there.
0: Well, um, thrive and die.
1: Thrive and die, or thrive, thrive or and die.
0: die appear to be the options as the growth of civilization's powers lead to the disappearance of the middle, muddling through options. That sounds like something some of my people on my show would say uh, when we're talking about the middle and where the middle is, et cetera.
1: Well, by, by middle, I mean, I, mean, I think... You know, it's frustrating to me how little people think about the sweep of history and, right. and the, the challenges we face in terms of the future. I mean, for, you know, for the, some people, the future means, you know, the next paycheck or a corporation. It's the next quarterly report, but we're really involved in a long game. So people will think, you know, yeah, we got dangers, but we'll muddle through. After all, we've always muddled through. I mean, we've been this civilization game has been going on for, oh, well, you know, you know, like that kid who said in a letter to God, you know, my grandfather says you were around when he was a kid. Just how far back do you go? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, but the thing is, we've reached the point in the last hundred years where our capacity for self-destruction has grown considerably. Right. And and what we're doing now is we're playing russian roulette uh figuratively speaking i'm not talking about putin i know anymore. what you mean yeah yeah it's, we're, you know, we're taking chances so how many times can we have a cuban missile crisis and um Come out the other side, okay? Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, Kennedy and Khrushchev worked it out. You know, in that movie, Thirteen Days, uh, you get to see how they did it, or at least a version of how they did it. Right? Uh, you know, I-, I wrote a piece um uh, before, months before the uh, Ukraine thing, because I'm worried about the United States and China. China is also a nuclear power, right? And, and they are a, a power a power that's expanding and history shows that when there's an established power and then there's an up and coming power, that that can be a very dangerous time for the world. Uh, The the most famous example of that is that the great Britain rule, you know, Britannia rules the waves, you know, the sunset never sets on the British empire. Empire. And, and, And here's Germany emerging in the late 19th century as a, a very dynamic, powerful industrial nation, and they're and they don't have a an empire, and they've got a desire to be the big boy on the block. So that was mm-hmm. so. China and the United States are sort of parallel right now, though. Though the the Ukraine thing has distracted us from that, but the Chinese keep reminding us with their warnings about Taiwan. Um, you know. China and the United States are like Germany and Great Britain. So it's a dangerous time. So I wrote a piece about we can't keep playing Russian roulette. When, when I talk about ordering our civilization well enough and soon enough to prevent our destroying ourselves, what I mean is we've got, we can't keep on, you know, if you're playing Russian roulette, if you do it indefinitely, the outcome eventually is a sure thing. Yeah, the
0: laws averages. I mean, uh, yeah, that's yeah. right.
1: What can happen eventually will happen. So we have to create an order in the world where something like the Cuban Missile Crisis cannot happen. It's not obvious how to create that world order or how we, you know, though, I mean, we could imagine it theoretically. But then there's the question, well, how do we get from here to there? And I'm not saying the answers are at all easy. But it's a question we need to face because the alternative is we're going to keep on spinning the chamber, and one of the times that chamber is going to be the bullet. Why do you say
0: the options for a human species don't include middle, uh, muddle through? Don't include our getting by with the combination of glorious and ugly we've we've, enna- we've enacted over the
1: millennia. Well, that Russian roulette idea was was my attempt to explain why we can't just keep muddling through. We got to create a different kind of order, because if let's say let's say if if uh, great powers get into a uh, great nuclear powers, mm-hmm. get into some kind of a showdown situation. Let's just say it's every 50 years. Let's see. It was 1962. Uh, well, this is 60. Years 22 ago. now. Yeah. Yeah. So let's say it's every 60 years. How many times can you play that game, uh, without getting the chamber with the bullet in it? You can't go on indefinitely. You've got to get, you have to get rid of that possibility before you get to that. Now we may already have, have, have missed the boat. You know, uh, Putin hasn't done it yet, but you know, it's not impossible. And, you know, over Taiwan, there might be some miscalculation. So there's no guarantee that we have, you know, that we're not already too late. But one thing I think we can assume is if we keep on having situations like that, which I think is inevitable in the present global system, it's not going to work out. hmm. So that's the muddling through thing is to think that we can keep on playing Russian roulette uh, indefinitely. We can't.
0: What do you mean by keeping central challenge always before our eyes?
1: Well, the question, okay, so let's, I I said, uh, I, I articulated the central challenge with this language. Will our species be able to order our civilization well enough and soon enough to prevent our civilizations destroying itself. And that has to do with both with the, with the, with the war to self-destruction and the bringing down the whole biosphere on our heads. <laughs> so your question to me was, how do we deal with that? Right. And, and the answer that I come up with is, first of all, we have to envision where do we have to get to? We have to have it in front of our eyes the way the world is going to have to look for us to be able to, for civilization to be able to make it for the long haul. That's the goal that that I'm taking to heart is that human civilization that the that that different peoples live in peace with each other and don't destroy the planet and that human that, that human civilization uh, operates in harmony with the needs of the biosphere. So we don't bring down the planet on us like we seem to be doing with climate change. So we need to think about what is it? Where do we have to get to where we've got reasonable peace on Earth that's secure, that we're not going to blow ourselves up? and reasonable harmony with the planet so that we can keep going uh, as a civilization without destroying the, the underpinnings. Uh, I mean, we depend on the, the biosphere for our survival. And so that's the first step is to try to envision what do we have to become? What would the world look like where we don't have these two dangers hanging over our heads? And then the second question we have to ask ourselves is, and I don't. Uh, and, and with respect to envisioning, that's an ongoing process.
0: Right. Well, we don't if have you're to not learning. Of, you're not learning.
1: Yeah. We don't have to figure it all out now. Just what's our best guess or even mm-hmm. the range of guesses. And then this, the next question is, what steps can we take now that, we, that are wise and prudent and well designed to get us toward that destination that we have to reach? And that's not the way we think in our civilization. I mean, there are people who do think that way: sustainable, uh, I say, sustainable ag- uh, economies, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, systems of uh, collective security and world order. I mean, people have been wrestling with both of these questions for a long time, but they're not foremost. We're, we're, we're focused just on on uh, dealing with the immediate problem. And we do have to deal with the immediate problem, but we have to have some attention devoted to the things that we need to deal with, or civilization isn't going to make it.
0: You know, um, I I want to sort of digress a bit because um, a a lot of what you have to say, you know, it's sort of um, it's sort of a civilization that can do whatever it pleases, uh, but it seems when you speak you have that bias of the 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 gangster taking things over i mean in, in everything that you're saying you're talking about what happens when we go off the rails as if we have to go off the rail or it's within inherent within us that we go off the rails not
1: inherent and you may remember that when we talked about um Let me stop this
0: again because you're correct. You never, you, you never actually said that. In fact, you, uh, one of the premises of why we wanted to discuss things was that you believe inherently that humanity, uh, will survive because we are inherently good. You gave me the impression.
1: Well, I didn't make a prediction that we would necessarily survive. I'm saying that any creature anywhere that embarks on the path of civilization will face this challenge. Right. And, and, and because the step onto civilization unleashes a systemic force. But is it true,
0: sir? Is it true that we are, I, 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 I want to go to the, to the part that, that, you, that you're saying that we're, we're maybe, maybe you didn't say we're inherently good, but you're saying we're not as bad as you think we are.
1: Yeah, I, the way I put it was the ugliness we see in human history is not human nature writ large. That's that's the point. That's the point. And 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 the reason, you know, the history is going to be ugly for any creature of any inherent nature. I mean we are cultural creatures. That means we are born with the capacity to be shaped to fit the world around us. Right we aren't we aren't uh you know we aren't stamped with an indelible imprint. We have inherent nature but we can be if you and I were born in Sparta to twenty five hundred years ago, we would have been in socialized to become that kind of a warrior. Mm-hmm. If we were so if we were born in the, the Han dynasty in China, you and I would have developed that particular kind of mentality. We as cultural creatures and then you you add that plasticity of a cultural animal to the fact that there's a selective process that says that the societies are going to de- de- evolve in a particular direction that make particular kinds of demands that are, that are a function of the society's need to maximize its power in order to survive the war of all against all. And the, the you, they're going to find monsters to rule. They're going to find uh they're going to there's a selective process that is going to create societies that make demands hostile to human nature, people are going to conform to the demands of their societies, even though it's going to cause internal psychological injury, that the demands within that the society has imposed are in conflict with the needs within that came from the biological evolutionary process. And between those two, there's a war going on within the civilized human being living in these societies whose shape has been been dictated by the war of all against all that has enshrined the gangster as the ruler. So the human nature issue, we can talk about, well, what is our human nature and how are we going to find it? But what I feel like I've proved, and people, I hope they'll, they'll be able to see where to see this laid out systematically. What I feel that I've proved is that what we see in history is ugly. Not because we ourselves are ugly, but because the process that is unleashed with the disorder of civilization will inevitably inflict that ugliness on our history.
0: Now you're saying then that um well well let me let me back up a bit. Uh, yes, history is ugly, but we also have some beautiful history as well, right?
1: Oh oh yeah, I I, I don't mean to yeah yeah i mean people have always struggled to create meaning and fulfillment and beauty and mm-hmm. uh, 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 in in difficult situations right even the most dark times even people in concentration camps or prisons and even you know oppressed peoples living within oppressive societies have created beauty as best they can. Right. I mean, the music that has come out of the suffering of black people is one of the great marvels of American culture, but there are wounds that go with it too. I mean, you don't escape the wounds and, and but yeah, I don't mean to just to, to say that the, that the history of our species is a disgraceful one. It's well, a species that,
0: yeah, go I ahead. like the direction of this discussion. Now, but we're 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 closing in on time, uh, and you know the, the, the great thing is this is a wonderful series that we're we're discussing these issues among many others. What I'd like you to do for me, uh, Doctor, is to do two things. First of all, of all, um, give us a clear pinning uh, to associate what you're saying with what we're seeing in America right now occurring with this the 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 right wing, where it just seems like chaos and destruction
1: well let's see that that i I love that question and i and I find it challenging, even though I've been working on it for a long time um, what we see on the right uh is what I call a pure case I mean I can't name anything in recent years where the Effect of the Republican party has made things better. And, and the Republican party and the Democratic party that I grew up with, you could find fault with both and you could find right. virtues with both. But this is that pure case. But I also think that there's a, there, there's a, um, uh, a brokenness that's systemic, that it's not only on the right that the problem arises. That wh- Back, I mean, I, I know we're coming up against time, and I, I, I was about to take a turn. That, that I'll just, I'll just give you an idea of where we. Yeah, summarize it because this is something to, that we can blend
0: into the next conversation as well.
1: Yeah, so, it, it, I was looking at polarization in the 1990s and doing everything I could to fight it, and then I watched how that polarization developed into, you know, like it was. You can imagine like a force of brokenness that that we developed on the right a a force that was good at fighting and was morally bankrupt. And on the left, the liberal America, we developed a a force that was fairly consistently leaning in constructive directions, trying to achieve better things, but was completely clueless when it came to the battle for power. And it's, it's a dichotomy as if there's two photographs. You know, I, I don't know that neg- negatives exist anymore because we take them digital photos. But in the old days, you know, if you looked at the negative, uh, the people's teeth that were bright would be
0: dark. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we're dark. And 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 the, re, the the Republican Party and and the Democratic Party and more broadly conservative America and liberal America became these like polar opposites. Mm-hmm. And that that form of brokenness when you separate power from goodness. The way the polarization process Progressively, did through the 1990s, and then with Fox News and Carl Rove, and 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 on into Barack Obama's presidency, that kind of force of brokenness split up the strengths that we need to combine. And we could also talk about the brokenness that emerged in the American public, so that we had a large segment of the population that was that was vulnerable. To propaganda coming out of uh, uh the
0: we're gonna yeah, we're gonna discuss that in uh, more, much more detail as we move along with a better human story because I think I think this is prescient, I think this is deep, and I think understanding these uh not only values and virtues, but quite a bit more, uh kind of puts us in the right frame of mind uh to understand what's going on right now. Dr. Andy Schmuckler, I can't tell you how happy it is that we've actually connected to work on on the series that examines a lot of your thought processes and that you've written about. Until the next time, thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right.
1: Well, I am very pleased to talk with you every time we talk.
0: Please remember to keep your community radio station in your minds. Keep KPFT on your mind. Talk about it. Tell your friends about it. Tell them you know about this station in town, 90.1 FM Houston, that needs your support. That is there to provide that nourishment that we need. KPFT 90.1 FM Houston. We have a great interview teaser from Kalita Harris. She is the director producer and everything in between for no address atlanta documentary is that did i say the name right welcome to politics done right kalita how are you doing today
2: you did say it right thank you so much egberto did i say it right
0: you said it perfectly right oh, my dear. Okay, but look you that. are i mean you've been making these documentaries about the unhoused, I had to learn that word. Did I say it right? The unhoused? Same
2: I thing, had to, unsheltered, unhoused.
0: Unhoused, unsheltered. Yeah. I had to learn that word from you because all along we always wanted to call people homeless and that sort of thing. And you really taught us that we needed to watch the kind of words that we use and people. And going forward, I've constantly tried, every time I say homeless, I get a big Khalida Harris mark <laughs> in my head. That say I need to make sure and, and address it appropriately. Anyway, you are going to be in Atlanta uh, yes. because tell us a little bit about this new documentary that you're going to be screening out there.
2: Yes, I am going to be in Atlanta. The new documentary is part two of the series of No Address. So the first one was Columbia, South Carolina. Now we are getting ready to release No Address Atlanta, and it is going in depth. It is different from the first one. The first one, you got to know the people, the history, break down the stereotypes, be ready for change. Now, this one is going a little deeper into the system of how it all began again for Atlanta and then delving into gentrification, the shelter systems, COVID, and the moratoriums and as well as solutions, of course, because we're all about solutions. So this is going to be the last part of the series. It was going to be three, but now it's going to be two because I am focused on the solutions. That's well, how we're going to really make change.
0: I love that you said solutions. I have a listener to Politics Done Right, that every time we are complaining or saying anything, the thing that he always says, Egberto, it's great to complain. It's great to talk about all of this, but what are the solutions? So just a, a quick one because I want to go into what exactly you're going to be doing on Wednesday of this week, but um, as far as uh, solutions are concerned, are you going to be making a document, no address documentary, as well featuring solutions as you see it?
2: Oh, the solutions are tied into the documentary.
0: Okay, so the do- the two documentaries that you've made, the solutions you you've tied them into it, as opposed to just saying here is a big problem, how can we solve them? You've already done that.
2: Absolutely, you can't just leave them hanging with well, what do we do?
0: Right. Well, you know and that's true. Up. <laughs> That's true. That 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 is absolutely true. All right. Well, um, tell us a little bit about what's going to be happening on Friday. I mean, I'm sorry, on Wednesday of this. No, 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 no. <laughs> on Friday,
1: <laughs> you'll be sleeping on
0: Friday back in South Carolina. But you're heading. You're going to be flying down to Atlanta. I think uh, on on Wednesday
2: tomorrow tomorrow yeah. tomorrow yes okay. oh yeah We do the run through all that get everything situated with the theater but on Wednesday at 7 p.m. at the plaza the historical plaza theater in Atlanta Georgia we will be screening and premiering the no address Atlanta the documentary series part two so come on out you can get your tickets at eventbrite.com just put in no address it'll pop up there and also you can go to to the website, documentary.com. and you can also purchase tickets at the door, but I highly recommend getting them in advance because tickets are selling fast, and it is limited seating because of COVID, so we have to honor that. So I don't want to turn anybody away, so please go ahead and get your tickets in advance, and then we're going to have a powerful, powerful, powerful panel right after a talk back with some of the most prominent people that's on the front lines, for the unsheltered to be at the screening. So you are going to be live streaming it and I'm so excited.
0: I am excited to be live. First of all, I am honored that you're going to allow me to do that. So what we're going to do is, um, when, when you get to your stream, we're going to. Piggyback off of your stream and bring it onto our platforms. And not only that, when the YouTube, uh, when the YouTube version is complete, well, what I'm, what am I saying? It's coming from YouTube. Uh, we're going to make sure and, you know, clean up the edges and put it out there for everybody to see. And after that, Clitta, I hope to have you on for an extensive interview. Not only about the Atlanta portion of your documentary, but the South, uh, the South, the South Carolina portion of your documentary, as mm-hmm. well as the answers to the questions of the unhoused. So, I mean, there's a lot we're going to have to talk about later on that we'll integrate with, with and hopefully have our politicians see these things that you've found out and things that they need to do to do their parts.
2: Right. So we have some former former candidates on the panel as well. They are definitely boots on the ground, ear to government. (laughs) So
0: before we close, then, why don't you tell us some of the panelists that you're going to be talking to?
2: Yes. So we're going to have Robbie Caban. She's like a veteran on your show. Yes. we're going to have Felicia Moore, Anita Beatty. She Anita Beatty has the biggest shelter. In the southeast called Peachtree Pine Felicia Moore was the city council president And she ran for mayor Also, Anthony Pope He is at Layer, I hope I'm saying it right Seven is where He's a developer for the shipping container Homes So that's going to be very, very interesting Then we have Marshall Ransford, Biggest activist out there in Atlanta On the streets every single day Let's see We have Tamara johnson She She
0: ran for senate. Yeah, she
2: ran for senate.
0: She, we've done shows together as well. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And she was formerly homeless as well. I'm not sure if you knew that. So
0: she, she told me that. Yeah, a few, a few times. And that is, it is wonderful that uh, she could actually be on the panel as a former, uh, as someone who ran for senate. In other words, she's been playing in the big leagues as well.
2: Absolutely. And then we're going to have Erica Wright with you first project you first, and she's doing big things, big things out there in the community. So I'm excited about the panelists. We're going to actually just have the continuation of where the documentary ended and what's going on now.
0: Well, Kalita Harris, thank you for using Politics Done Right to help us uh, promote and let people know about what you're doing in Atlanta on Wednesday. Thank you so kindly for what you do. Your work is so important and we just need people like you out there doing what you do. So again, it's my honor to have had you on Politics Done Right.
2: And it's an honor to be
0: I love Eric because sometimes he brings up some things. Remember my book, It's Worth It, How to Talk to Your Right-Wing Relatives, Friends, and Neighbors. To talk to them, you also have to listen to them, right? And Eric comes out and he found something that he wants to refute. Richest 400 Americans pay 8% tax rate is what's reported in the liberal media. This is false as they include unrealized investments. And it is a force to include this. They even state this on the site, that it includes unrealized investments. Let's give an example here, folks, because I want to show you how enslaved the minds of many are. Enslaved by what they were taught by people on the right, wanting to minimize their freedom and much more. Uh, For those who don't know what unrealized income is, let me explain. Let's say I own a stock, and that stock is worth $10. $10. And let's say a lot of people started buying that stock on the stock market and it's now worth thirty dollars. So in on paper, let's say I had a hundred shares, that means I had a hundred dollars, and now the stock is worth thirty dollars. So now my hundred dollars turned into three hundred dollars. That's income, right? Because I've made money. But the way the, the, the way the crooked nature of America is. For those, who, Since most of the people who own stocks are wealthy, they control Congress and they're able to say, hey, wait, we can't call that income. That is unrealized income because it's just on paper. For it to be real, we will have to trade that stock and get cash for it, and then you can tax us. But what rich people do is they never have to trade the stock. What they do is they go ahead and they keep that stock appreciating as much as possible. And because they have an asset value equal to what that stock has appreciated to, they take out a loan with a bank that is then backed by that stock. So now I want to spend that $200 that I made. I don't go ahead and sell the stock and sell it. I go ahead and take out a loan and there are two ways I do it. I either take out a loan backed by that stock that I never really intend to pay back, but I'll give the stock to the bank when I die or something. Or I take out an insurance policy by talent, by transferring ownership. There's a lot of these magical ways that, they, that the rich people do not to pay taxes on this, this thing, right? So this article comes out and it says... Oh, well, you know, unrealized income. How can you say they're only paying 8% taxes because you are also counting the income that they made on their appreciated stocks? I want to show you the slave mentality now. There are other forms of assets, right, that appreciate, mainly your home, right? So every year, I get a bill from the county. And the county says... Your house has appreciated by 10%. So therefore, your tax bill goes up by 10%. I didn't sell my asset, my house, but every year I get taxed on the price, the value of my home, the appreciated value of my home. But who pays the appreciated value of their home? The common people. You see, that's a tax that affects everybody, right? We we got to pay. We have assets too, but our assets aren't stock. It's homes, it's cars, it's those things. We pay property value, property taxes, and all of those things. Whether when they appreciate, we pay more. But when the stock prices appreciate for the rich stockholder, they pay nothing yet. And if they want to use that money, there are instruments for them to use that money. That's not called selling the stock. But using a bank as a leverage not to pay taxes on the stock that they own. You see, there's ma- these are magical things. The problem is most Americans don't know these things. And when they don't know these things, they allow these rich people to have poor people fighting their battles to say, Why tax if it's not unrealized? People, we got to stop being stupid. We got to stop being stupid, man. That's why we pay everything. That's why we pay everything, because we are even, you know, all of us in the aggregate are allowing those parasites on the top to continue being the parasites that they are we spend a lot of time deconstructing the news trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand we try to find those little nitpicks where uh it goes it flies above the fray etc if you really like these videos that we do i want to ask a big favor please go ahead number 1 subscribe to our channel and number 2 please join if you can thank you so kindly for watching keep watching please remember to share we must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join. Please get one of my several Get any two of those books for $200. Any three of those books for $250. The contributions for my books go directly to support our station, KPFT 90.1 FM. Alternatively, folks, please get your basic KPFT only membership for $40, a Pacifica only membership for $25, or choose from one of our many other gifts for your contribution. Just go to kpft.org. Choose politics done right for the program and select an option either for our books or something else to support the station. It is definitely worth it. You can listen I E S, but don't you forget. Listen to us live on air at KPFT ninety point one FM on Thursdays at noon and at Fridays at eleven a.m. All Central Time. Please remember to keep your community radio station in your minds. Keep KPFT. To you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at EGBERTOWILLIES. That is at Eberto Willies. Let us engage. It is politics done right.